1: Joy Anglin po. Nabili na po ba ninyo ang dish pack ng Miracle Brokers? Up to 200 pounds kaya pong ilagay dito. Halina po kayo Christmas na sa Pilipinas. Tamang-tama po para sa mga ati at kuya. Halina po kayo dito sa Miracle Brokers. Miski ano pwede pong ilagay dito sa box. Pwera lang po ang jawan Contact us at
2: 949-5989 or email us at info at Miracle Brokers.
1: good morning beautiful folks how are you guys doing my apologies for a slightly late start the internet apparently had been down since uh 2 last night so when i got up this morning i'm just like hmm, nothing seems to be working folks because without the internet hello we all rely on the internet to work to do our jobs to get things done <clears throat> so I'm just going to have a quick look to see what is going on. I think we are fully up and operational. Thank you guys so much for joining me this morning. Good morning, Brandon. Brandon is the first one out of the gate. Today is November the 5th. Beautiful Thursday. It's a rainy day, folks. We know we're going to have a couple rainy days going into the weekend as we get the remnants of Hurricane Eta, eta whatever we're calling her this year. Um, and listen, this is the first time... <clears throat> I think, the second time in history that we have pretty much gone to, was it 28 named storms? So if we get another one after this, and hello, it's still early November, so it's anybody's game in terms of what can happen between now and December the 1st when we think hurricane season is over. I kind of have the feeling that, you know what, this hurricane season is going to throw us for a loop-de-loop. And as a result of that, I'm not trusting anything. I'm like, I'm not gonna put my goat mat on the situation. However, I kind of feel like anything is uh, possible. And if anything is possible, well, Murphy's Law, if it can't happen, it's probably going to happen, right? So we're gonna just keep an eye on the situation. I haven't had a look because like I said, the internet was down this morning. I haven't had a look as yet uh, to see exactly what is going on with the storm. The last advisory I saw last night, she was down to, I keep calling it a she, but I don't even know if it was a she, um, down to about 40 miles per hour, which we expected that the landmass would do significant damage to the storm. <clears throat> and so that is not surprising that uh, Nicaragua, the people of Honduras um have really been under a lot of pressure as a result of this storm. And this storm <clears throat> has been shredded now by um, by the landmass. So we shall uh, see how that plays out. I'm just going to uh, see if I can get some coordinates on this storm to see exactly where it's at. And then we can certainly take it from there. Um... Let me just see here, folks. Let me just see. All right. As you guys know, uh, Alric Lindsay will be joining us this morning. I see that he's logged in already. Alric, give us a few. We're going to dispense with our uh, usual greetings to people who are tuned in to the program. And of course, we um, remind you that Thursdays are going to be speakeasy Thursdays for a bit. As well as we'll get into some tech stuff at the end of the show, time permitting, and Alec will be our guest uh, for the foreseeable future. He has a lot of issues that are on his mind that he wants to discuss and join in on. And we are more than happy to have uh, that discourse with him. So we're going to get all of the details here in a second about today's discussion. and we have actually been doing, i tell you what, we've got the podcast now. As you guys know, you can actually go online after the show, listen to our podcast. Um, some people prefer just to listen to audio. They may not have all the requirements for video. Some people don't have Facebook. So I just want to remind you that um, if you don't have access to Facebook, most of these videos you can still listen to even if you don't have a Facebook account because Facebook permits you to go to a public page and have access to a lot of the content on a public page. So I've got relatives who are elderly, you know, the elderly aunt who's in her seventies. She's not a Facebook person. She's not going to set up a Facebook account, but she is still very much interested in what's happening in this country. And she enjoys listening and watching to the show. So a big shout out to auntie there. Um, But you know, she can still go do it. You can also do it from YouTube. So please don't forget that we are uh, on our YouTube channel as well. And uh, you've got some options over at YouTube. So a number of different ways to watch it. We have a WhatsApp news group, so do not forget if you want to get the latest stuff as it's happening, get on that WhatsApp news group and we will be more than happy to um, send you those news alerts. So I do see my emails are finally coming in. So just give me a second to give you an update on the storm. And uh, we shall see kind of what we're looking at. Of course, the biggest thing with this storm is right now she's shredded. Um, And I keep calling her she not knowing if that's the correct term, but right now she is shredded uh, with the anticipation that um, she will um, go back into the Caribbean Sea. This is the projected path. And reformulate, and this is why we are all concerned, because that reformulation is um, that reformulation is is a bit concerning. So let's have a look here at what we're dealing with. Give me one quick second. I'm gonna try a little something today with um, our alerts that we send out. So normally we do a little reminder to the WhatsApp group to say, hey guys, don't forget that we're live now. And what I wanna do today, this is, I'm gonna try it in real time um, to see if this works. We're going to actually send out um a real time because you know every single time when we're on the website if we send out oh it says outlook needs to close okay so if we send out like a news story or whatever it will actually pop up as um it sends an alert to every to like well over i think it's almost um 11, people that have registered for the website who want to receive notifications every time a website story is posted. So I'm gonna try it this morning where of course I have to kind of multitask and do this as we are getting ready for the show. But I think if I do it in the early moments of the show, uh, those people will get notifications that we're live in case this is a topic of interest to them. What I find is a lot of people tend to go back afterwards and they'll listen to it after. And that's perfectly fine as well, because it stays up on uh, Facebook and it definitely stays up on YouTube. Um, So the legal services bill is under scrutiny and we're gonna talk about this. Uh, It'll be coming up in the December session of the legislative assembly. And I was kind of confused about whether or not they were actually having a December session, because when the premier made his remarks a couple days ago, about the changes that are coming to the legislature i thought he said the next time we reconvene we will be the house of parliament and i thought he meant 2021 but apparently there is going to be an la session in december and uh this will be um focused or headlined on the agenda so good morning to Catherine. thank you so much for tuning in appreciate you um Let me just see here. Good morning, Larry from New York. How are things going? He says, oh, happy birthday to his wife, Sonia Brown. Sonia, happy birthday. Larry, what are you getting your beautiful wife for Christmas? Good morning, Miss Morna. Unfortunately, Miss Morna, when you use those little emojis, we can never see them on here. I see them on Facebook, but not in this um, session that we're in. Marshall says, good morning, K-Man, from a cold morning in North Carolina. Anne-Marie, beautiful day today. How are you? Look at Judy Fay, our good friend. Good morning, at K-Y. Miss Judy Fay, where are you, my friend? And, of course, greetings to Elizabeth, who has also joined us. Now, tell me what's going on with the presidential election, because when I went to bed last night, um, President Trump was still trailing. However, um, my understanding is that the path for Joe Biden was a little bit closer and Trump was still kind of like um, complaining and he started a bunch of lawsuits. And I mean, he's like a spoiled child, you know? When they don't get their way, they're gonna throw a tantrum and do all sorts of stuff. Now, if there was any legitimate reason to file a lawsuit, and here's the irony of it. In the states that Trump is losing, he has said that he wants the voting to stop. Why? (laughs) I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Just because he's losing, he thinks that the American people may not have woken up um, with their good senses about them on election day and prior to, because apparently the votes that are really making a difference for Joe Biden or the people who voted early, the people who sent in their ballots. So he is claiming voter fraud with no evidence whatsoever. In fact, my understanding is, from watching a variety of different news media, is um, the voting process has been relatively straightforward. They've been counting. Some uh, states have, this is why it's taken a while to get the results. We may not get results till later today or even into tomorrow, because they have been taking their time in double counting to make sure that there are no errors and there are no mistakes because they know the type of person um, that Donald Trump is, I suspect. And they do not want to have any errors or any questionable situations on their hands. Now, there's about a hundred and something persons, a very small group of persons at one polling station last night, all Trump supporters outside demanding to be let in to the, this is on CBS News, but they were demanding to be let into a particular polling station, which was happening at an arena in one of the outstanding states. So, um, quite interestingly enough, you know, there's police presence there to keep the peace, of course, and the poll. The people who are working, the workers who are there counting, they've got machines, all this kind of stuff. They don't need this type of interruption. Um, I'm sure there are in- independent observers to the process, who are more than permitted to sit there and watch. But Donald Trump just assumes that if he is losing, it has to be something fraudulent going on. Donald Trump, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the American people are just sick and tired of you and your shenanigans? And your um, reality show in the White House has just come to an end. You know, you are an apprentice. All good things must come to an end or all bad things must come to an end. Everything has an end. And so your number is up, it looks like. Now, there is a possibility, ever so slightly, so we don't want to rule it out, there is a possibility that Donald Trump could, if he basically, I think, won Pennsylvania would be the big one for him. And it looks like he actually uh, may take Pennsylvania because he is in the lead by um, a couple, like 48.1% to 50.7%. So he could take Pennsylvania. That would give him 20 electoral votes, but then he needs to take a few more as well. 89% of the estimated votes are reported already for Pennsylvania. All eyes are on Georgia, apparently. So Georgia, they've got 96% of the estimated votes in. And Georgia, um, it says here half an hour ago that um, the lead for Trump is dwindling in Georgia. So it is literally neck and neck, 49.6% for Donald Trump and 49.2% for Joe Biden. And it's that's 96% of the votes being counted. So it's very possible that it could just be a couple thousand votes that will separate the victor in the state of Georgia. Now, apparently in the US, they do have um, a situation where If it's less than 1% difference between the candidates, it is possible, I see the numbers just change here slightly, it is possible for um, a recount. But all the lawsuits that Donald Trump is filing this morning and all the recounts that he's demanding, and he's not just demanding recounts, like I said, he's actually telling them to stop counting, which I think is crazy. Uh, this has never happened in the history of America, ever, ever, ever. And I think that certainly says a lot about the type of person that Donald Trump is. Um, so, all eyes are in Georgia this morning. The Senate race may drop below uh, 50%, which could force a January runoff and determine Senate control. So, all of the, the um, various races are very, very tight in the US. Like I literally saw the Senate race, it was like 50-50. You know, and that one or two people is gonna decide whether or not um, the Republicans have the majority or the Democrats have the majority. So now we're understanding that because of Georgia, it may actually happen where they're gonna have to have a runoff in January, isn't that something? Um, So all eyes are there. Lawsuits, uh, like I said, are being filed. Um so it looks like Trump may win Arizona. Now I know that there were some people who were and you know everybody's like why does CNN have one set of numbers, Fox has another set, um New York Times has another set. Some of them are trying to call states um before the number the final final count is in. And some of these states have said, "Listen, we're not going to give you any updates." And at this time, until we actually have some final numbers. So um, there are projections that are being made. And of course, we see the danger of projections. So I think the best thing for people to do is to just stand tight. So at 3.06 a.m., the New York Times is saying that um, Trump hit the percentage he needed to stay on track to potentially win Arizona, but it may not hold. Um, and the next release, uh, is not expected until Thursday night for Arizona, but with 86% of the votes in, it's now showing Joe Biden actually in the lead in Arizona. So I don't know. This is what I'm saying. There's certain States you gotta just wait and have, uh, you know, have a wait to see what's going to happen. So in Maricopa County, that's Phoenix, Arizona, um, they just posted as last numbers for the night, that was at 2:54 AM and Trump narrowed Biden's edge in Arizona slightly to 68,390 votes or less than three percentage points. So he's still not in the lead, but he's narrowed it a little bit in Arizona. Um, so here we go. More than 150 pro Trump supporters, some armed gathered outside the Maricopa County Election Office and chanted count the vote as officials continue to just do that. But I think they're confused because Trump is saying don't count the vote. He's saying stop the count. Trump, your supporters didn't get the memo. They don't sound like they're too bright out there. Um, and of course, you know, there are people who are saying that every single vote must be counted. Now, we all know that the how the process works in the US, it's not really the um, popular vote that necessarily gets you elected because they do have this electoral vote system. But in some key states, obviously the popular vote will uh, impact the electoral numbers that a particular president gets. Um, so protesters are starting to march in Minneapolis, New York and elsewhere against president Trump. While some of his supporters, a very small number gathered near a Phoenix building where crucial votes are being counted. So they've said about 150 of those individuals. And um, you know, everybody else believes in democracy and they are like, listen, count the vote, every single last vote. So in Minneapolis, Protesters blocked a freeway, prompting arrests. In Portland, hundreds gathered on the waterfront to protest the president's attempted interventions in the vote count. As a separate group protesting, the police urging racial justice surge through downtown, smashing shop windows and confronting police officers and National Guard troops. I really hope that um, the Americans remain calm You've gotta show the world why you claim that you're the best country in the world. An election, a democratic election process has been one of the foundations for a very long time of the American system, whether you like someone or not. And I think that that has to be, um, if I were an American right now, that would have to be the prevailing message. You know, Whether I like Trump, whether I like Joe Biden, it's all about the process and the process of democracy and the elements that, that make it a democratic society have to be fiercely protected. There's absolutely no other way to do this. Um, So we're keeping an eye on that situation. There's some signage up that says every vote count. And of course, you know, we are well aware that there's some anticipated, unfortunately, protesting and violence as a result of that. I really wish to see it, like, not be that way. Like, honestly, you know, people are afraid. you know, there are people who are saying, for example, this lady, Car- Carol Carmack, she's 59. She says it's such a dangerous moment as she joined a protest in Portland out of fears that Mr. Trump will try to stay in power, even if he lost the election. And, you know, people are saying that because Trump himself has said that. He has said that he will not be moved. <laughs> and so the American people who do believe in the democratic protest process um do not feel like that is the right thing for him to be doing. I mean, I'm shocked that a president of the United States would basically say the people have spoken, whatever the process is. You know, in 2016, Hillary Clinton lost the popular vote by I th- won, my apologies, the popular vote by 3 million over Donald Trump, but she still lost the electoral vote. And you know what? She said that's our process. The process has worked and She has nothing else to say about it. Uh, Now we have a man who looks like it is going to lose both the popular vote and the electoral vote and he intends to stay in office or he's gonna fight it, mounting all of these legal actions. It, It really is quite unbelievable. But it is indicative of the type of person that President Trump has been from day one. So none of us should be surprised when he says that even if he loses, he is not going to um, leave the, the house. He's not going to leave the White House. And there have been so many memes going around. We'll do some memes maybe tomorrow because I'm very conscious of the fact that we have our guest Alex here with us. Um, <clears throat> good morning to you, Miss Ethel. Marshall says he's such an idiot and sore loser. He needs to get the counting. T- uh, he needs to let the counting take its place, take its process. Good morning, Miss Sue. Um, Ervlin says he needs to go, man. This is the type of people he's producing. Well, he's not producing them, but he's certainly allowing them to feel very comfortable and showing their true selves and who they are. Having said that, it's only 150 people. So the vast majority of people are obviously allowing the process to work. Tracy, beautiful Tracy is joining us from Jamaica. Good morning, Tracy. Are you getting any rain in your area of Jamaica? Olivia, thank you so much for tuning in. Irvelin um, says these people are stupid. Blind leading the blind. Good morning, Flashpoint. Trump is cons- concerned about a pen. Sorry, about potential pending legal action if he doesn't get reelected. Now, Flashpoint, that is a very interesting point that you make because the president seems to be offered some immunity as president of the United States of America. Good morning, Carol. Carol's of the viewpoint that he is a complete dictator, fires people who argue against him, and says he won't leave even if he loses. Yes, Carol. It is quite shocking to be quite frank. Uh, Tracy confirms that Jamaica continues to get reen, just like us. Tomorrow we'll do an update with the situation in Honduras, because I think into today... They'll start to get a better view of exactly what is, is transpiring uh, with this storm and the actual damage that it has caused. We have seen some video footage. <clears throat> My apologies. We have seen some video footage some pictures from different places in Honduras. And I want to talk about the situation there because one of the um, persons who um, Um, one of the persons who's been watching her show has said that, you know, she feels that right now this is the only program that even shares any news on Honduras and that people remain very, very concerned about what is happening there. So, um, we will certainly, I think, um, we, we will certainly keep an eye on that situation and update you guys as we go along. So, um, let me just see here. All right. So some information on the storm, let's just have a quick perusal. Um, so what we have here is now 30 miles per hour. So it's just a tropical depression maximum sustained winds 30 miles per hour. Um, It's currently west-northwest moving at eight miles per hour. So the speeds have picked up and the uh, exact it's 14.5 north and 87 west. Pressure um, of course is in line with a tropical depression. So it's going to probably just dump a lot of rain on the remaining areas of Nicaragua. But of course, Nicaragua has managed to break this storm apart to a significant degree. And so um, we will now be continuing to watch what it does as it comes back into the Caribbean Sea with a very keen eye. The National Weather Center, of course, has uh, issued some, some tropical storm advisories for a number of different areas. We are still in the path of the potential wide cone of um, the storm, so we just gotta watch it. Like I said, on Monday, just be prepared. Um, The last update was three hours ago. We'll be expecting another update, I think, here shortly. Um, So they did one at 3 a.m. They don't do them as frequently once the storm is, um, has been degraded, but they're still watching it. So this is what the National Hurricane Center says. Interests in Belize, Western Cuba, and the Cayman Islands should also monitor the progress of this system. So right away, uh, we've been warned. The governments of Honduras and Nicaragua continue to issue warnings concerning heavy rain and flooding in those countries, and interests there should continue to monitor it as well. Um, Isolated maximum storm totals of 40 inches of rain in Honduras and eastern Nicaragua, that's a lot of rain, folks especially when you have mountainous areas and you're prone to flooding and landslides. Jamaica is expected to get an additional three to five inches of isolated um, showers from this and isolated maximum storm totals of 15 inches. And the Cayman Islands um, into portions of Cuba, 10 to 20 inches isolated maximum totals of 30 inches. Well, I think that's more for Cuba probably than us, but we are going to have a rainy day. Um, So the potential for flash flooding, river flooding, life-threatening flash floods and river flooding is expected along with landslides and areas of higher terrain in Central America. And that is where um, Honduras and Nicaragua have been extremely concerned. So it's going to go back out into the Gulf of Honduras by tonight. And then it's projected to approach the Cayman Islands and Western or central Cuba this weekend. So that's where we are folks get ready and remember it doesn't take much. I mean, are we not learning a lesson every time it's like 24 hours, it can go from 30 miles per hour to all of a sudden a cat two, three, or four storm. It doesn't really take much, um, with the, the water temperatures and so on just being perfect for development for this storm to turn into a major hurricane. Soka Phillips says, Marshall, uh, thing is, he may not lose. Well, there is still a slim margin, um, a path for him to potentially win this, but it is lasting every single day um, that the process continues. So fingers crossed. We shall see. I think everybody knows I'm not a Trump fan. I'm not a Trump supporter. I cannot, you know, I try not to get too involved in American politics. And I say that with a little bit of a chuckle because my husband's like, but you sit there talking about him and, you know, I want to share information with you guys. And I know that a lot of you, Soka, um, uh, Larry, um, who else? Uh, Louis, I haven't seen Louis yet this morning. Uh, Marshall, all of you guys are Caymanians or Caymanian adjacent people with connections. But you live in the States, there's Charles Whitaker, there's a lot of Caymanians who have connections to the US. Of course, we do care about what happens, especially when you've had a, a president like President Trump. I mean, I've cared less when other people been in office, whether they're Republicans, or Democrat, that part I don't actually care about. I think if I were living in the US and I was an American citizen, I would be an independent so that I can vote depending on the candidate and how my conscience goes, I'm not really into tying into a party system, right? Um, so, you know, as we gear up for our own elections here in the Cayman Islands, I think that that's where our focus has to be. And that is ultimately the most important thing for us. So Marshall says all the same, um, he needs to let the voting process continues. Hans, good morning. Hans is in agreement with my last comment saying facts. Hans, do you work at the airport? I see your little photo there it looks like you are hanging out at on a runway or some sort. So yeah, so let's focus on the Cayman Islands elections now which we have coming up on May the 26th of 2021. There are some candidates, you know, that we're keeping uh, we're keeping a keen eye on all of them, but there are some I think there needs to be some movement of the incumbents, not everybody, but some people got to go so that the people can feel like their voice is actually being fully represented in this country. I get so many messages every single day, um, for people from people who are just calling out for help and various walks of life. So Hans confirms that he used to work for Island paving for the airport project. Oh, cool. Very nice. Um, okay. So Alric Lindsay is joining us folks in case you don't know who Alric is. Alrick um, actually is running for Georgetown South. The incumbent in Georgetown South is Barbara Connolly. And um, Ms. Barbara is a nice person, but politics isn't about just being a nice person. There are many other qualities that we want to make sure that we are looking for in a politician. You know, I was speaking to someone recently about Barbara and I've known Barbara a really long time in the political circle. So she was, like me, one of the founding members of the PPM. We were there in the early days. This would have been around 2000s and going into 2003, I think, when the party was officially, officially formed or thereabouts. And, um, you know, she's been in the party, doing things in the party for a really long time. Someone recently shared with me, though, that they were surprised that after the incident at... um, Smith Cove or Smith Barcadier, some of us call it, she really got upset at individual people for protesting, for saying that they care more about the environment than politicians. And um, some of the protesters who were there that day, ironically, have been removed from her list. Like, she's unfriended them on social media. She has removed them from a WhatsApp group. Uh, and in fact, one lady said that she created the WhatsApp group and then she was removed from the WhatsApp group. So she's like, how the heck do I, do I get removed when it was a group that I helped create? So I think that unfortunately, when you talk about the world of politics, number one, if you're going to jump into it as a politician, you've got to have uh, thick skin because people are going to say all sorts of things about you that are not necessarily true. However, you have to know what your truth is and you have to stay firm by that. And sometimes in the world of politics, people will tell us things that are true. And when they tell us things, you know what? It's their opinion. Uh, maybe we can take it on board sometimes. There are other times when, when we choose not to take it on board at all. That is ultimately our decision and our choice. But I think what concerns me is when people take it personal, when they become like a Donald dump, Oh, sh- I met Donald Trump. And, um, you know, they start to call people names, they make fun of people, or they start unfriending people, blocking people, and that sort of thing. It's like, come on now. That's a little bit over the top. So um, that's concerning. Alric, good morning to you, my dear. I'm going to unmute your mic, I think. Actually, you may have to unmute it. Unmuted. There you go. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm pretty good. Flashpoint is asking, what does Barbara have to say about assaults committed by other politicians? Well, Flashpoint, if you have watched this program, you will know that this is one of my uh main concerns about not just barbara but all women we only have three in the legislative assembly at the moment who have decided to not take a position on um, the assault that was committed by a member of the house this is concerning for a number of different reasons but you know listen at the end of the day if you are uh, a woman You are more likely to be assaulted in your life um, by a man than a man is. That's just the reality of the situation. And we, all of us, we have a silent witness march that's gonna be coming up here shortly as the weather permits, but all of us have to be concerned about how women are treated in the communities that we live in, everything from domestic violence and assault um, to workplace harassment, whether it's sexual harassment, racial harassment, nationality, harassment, or whatever. As mothers, we're trying to strike a balance between having a work life, uh, dedicating time to our families and being there for children and husbands and grandparents and other people that are um, meaningful uh, persons in our lives and still support our families financially. So most women have to be working outside of the home and still carrying a, a load in the household as well. So when I see a situation happen where a woman is beaten and bruised and there are people who can, by their silence, give consent to that type of behavior. And yes, in this situation, I do honestly believe that silent silence is consent. Silence is saying, I'm okay with this at some level. Because if you were not, you would be speaking out quite vehemently against this sort of behavior. I mean, I thought when I first heard the story that Flashpoint is referring to, which is the allegations against Speaker of the House, which he admitted, so I don't even know why we're calling them allegations anymore, that in a drunken stupor, Mr. Bush has said that he has assaulted someone. When I hear that type of a story, it concerns me immensely that women in the Legislative Assembly, in particular, who are supposed to be setting examples for other women in the community, for young girls and so on, that they themselves uh, do not speak out about these things. I'm like, what sort of example is that? In your heart of hearts, do you not believe that this man is wrong? And I don't wanna hear any mumble jumble about, oh, we're waiting for the legal process to take its place. Speaking out generally against domestic violence would be wonderful. You don't have to address the specifics of his case, but could you make a statement about how you feel about gender-based violence? No one has done that. And, you know, I'm going to give props because I think it's important to acknowledge when people, especially politically aligned people, are indeed doing the right thing. So we have a situation where, as you guys know, um, the previous representative for the Newlands area, it wasn't Newlands yet, but you know, before one by one vote, um, Mr. Wien Panton, he's not even in the Legislative Assembly right now. He's maintained an office um, here in Newlands, but he actually put up a sign at his office that said, uh, I can't remember exactly what the, the sign had said, but basically it said that um, he stands with the victim and stands against violence against women. And when I saw that fi- sign, I said, wow good for him. You know, because that is an important message. So most members of the legislative assembly had very little to say, nothing at all. Um, The PPM members for sure had nothing to say. The opposition, they were more vocal. Some of them, such as Mr. Ezra Miller, was trying to lead the charge to have Mr. Bush removed from office Uh, Even if it was just removed from, not office, but removed from the position of Speaker of the House, again, because that is supposed to be a respectful position and this behavior that was engaged in is certainly not respectful towards anyone. That has not happened. He took a slight leave of absence, which was self-induced, and now he's back and everybody's pretending like nothing has has gone on. Um, The process continues to move through the courts and we will certainly see what happens. Good morning, Walton. Thank you so much for tuning in. So um, Flashpoint, at this point, because Barbara has said nothing about this assault and we're going into a year now, it's gonna be a year come February, uh, there would be nothing in my mind that she could say during the upcoming campaign section that would justify her actions to date. I, I get that PPM, they're all towing the line. They have one message, they're refusing to speak out against Mr. Bush because the truth of the matter is that PPM would not be in power with their so-called coalition government if um, Mr. Bush had not brought along his his uh, team from the District of West Bay and from the CDP. So as a result of that, Alden McLaughlin has had to sell his soul to the le- devil. And everybody else who's part of the PPM have had to sell their soul to the, de- to the devil. And that is why we see persons like Mr. P- Wayne Pampton, who was actually part and parcel of, he was still part of the PPM. After he saw uh, the PPM's response to this, both him and Osborne Baden resigned as members of the party because they were still party members. Because once again, they're sending a very loud message that they cannot support that sort of thing. So Tracy says, silence kills and makes life hard. When you begin to speak out, you're hated by almost everyone. Tracy, let me say it. Let me put it like this, right? Um, You might be hated by some people. And of course, the minority always seems to be incredibly vocal. I don't think that you'll be hated by everyone for speaking out because I do it every single day. And I can tell you the number of people that total strangers that approach me in the street and they say, Sandy, I listen to you in the mornings. I go back and listen to your show. I appreciate, you know, you bringing forth information in this community and all of the things that you do. Um... I focus on those majority positive messages than the few naysayers who normally have a political stake and they don't want to be highlighted for not doing the right thing. And as you say, if silence kills, then what's the alternative? Would you rather someone, oh, well, I don't like you because you speak out or people remain silent and we continue to have innocent people in our communities suffer as a result of that? So Louie has finally woken up. Louis, where were you? Maybe he was in the garden. Uh, in Detroit, he says, good morning, CMR Massive. Top of the morning to you, too, Sandra. Thank you so much. Alwick, tell us a little bit about your week. What have you been up to, and how has it
2: been? Um, have had a good week, just helping people as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, just using my mornings to, to work, my, my normal work. And then using the afternoons to have meetings with uh, constituents and people that uh, need assistance in the community. And then the late afternoon from about 4.30 or so is spent going door to door to to hear concerns in detail um, of other members of the community. So uh, pretty busy and also, um, you know, I always find time to, to watch Kim on Mall Road. So,
1: <laughs> Well, we certainly appreciate the love and support. Good morning to Toshi. Good morning to Donovan, who's joining us from New York as well. Uh, Louis says it's too cold in Detroit for gardening, but he's tuned in to the hard cold truth. And look at here. Look at this. Cece has tuned into the program. Big up to her friend Cece. She's working hard in the job. Are you at work yet this morning, Cece? Maybe you're going in in the afternoon shift. But Cece is joining us, and uh, shout out to her. And of course, um, big shout out to all of her folks there in Windsor Park, GTC, um, Little Cayman, Cayman Brac, and all over the three Cayman Islands. Good morning, Odette. And of course, Sai is now here for it. And uh, we appreciate the love and support. So, Alric, it sounds like you've been pretty busy. Obviously, right now, managing your time in terms of um working the job that actually pays the bills and going out there in the community, you know, finding the time to meet with constituents and to also um, oh, today's her day off. Hey, CeCe, kick up your feet, girl. Get yourself a hot cup of tea or coffee and just relax a little bit. So finding the time to balance your regular job, because as you have said you um you are an attorney and i think that's primarily you do director services that sort of thing and uh, also you know going out doing his door-to-door walks and so on one day we're going to follow you out in the neighborhood to kind of get a feel for what that process is like uh now who was it that said um tracy was saying, Alric, how difficult it can be once you decide to speak out. And I know that one of the most difficult decisions you can make is the decision to run for public office. It's not a popular one, especially if you're not part of an elite group of individuals, such as the PPM party. How have you found people's response to you thus far? What has it been like during the door-to-door rounds um, I always tell people in this process, you're gonna make friends and you're gonna lose friends. But what have you personally found the lay of the land to be thus far?
2: Uh, you know, people have said they haven't seen their representative in a while. They are anxious to talk about issues, both in their community and national issues that affect Cayman's in general. Okay. And people, people are very happy. To have someone come around, you know, which is what I'm doing now, is going door to door. They they just want someone to talk to, and I guess we all know what what that's like. Um, in a system that seems to put a lot of fear into for speaking out. Certainly, when people see me, they're happy for the opportunity to to speak out, to speak to someone, to speak the truth. That's on their mind. Uh-huh. So, what I have done is I have noted all the concerns in, in various communities as I go. And then I try to take steps to resolve those concerns because I think we need to have a government of action and clearly not just talk. We need to have a government of uh, good governance, you need to have a, good, a government of enforcement and not just enforcement of people who aren't friends with the government because we tend to see that happen from time to time where people are treated differently in different circumstances. But I would say overall, people are people are very happy to have someone someone just sit and talk with them and genuinely spend some time with them and hear what they have to say and offer up resolutions for various concerns. So that's what I've been doing because I want to be a public servant to serve the people. So it's not about my selfish interests or what I can gain from a situation. It's, it's about listening to the people. So that's why I spend so much of my time every day, just listening to people and then trying to assist them with a resolution that could make their life better. When your viewer talks about silence, it's it's unfortunate that we have a government that says anything that comes from somewhere else is fake news. Uh. If, it's, if it's from Mall Road, it's fake news. If it, uh-huh. it's a non-governmental source, for some reason, it's all fake news. So I think that's one of the things that makes people afraid to speak up because they think they're, they're gonna get beat down for saying anything, uh, you know, even if it's true, if it's a bunch, of, if it's if it's facts related to specific matter. And also people feel like they don't have a lot of support.
1: Uh-huh.
2: When I say people, I mean, Caymanians don't feel that they don't have a lot of support when they speak out, because they will get criticized on all sides. But what, what I would say to everyone is under the constitution, you do have a right to freedom of speech. So you should exercise that right every day every chance you get so that's one of the issues that i think that we face in the country is people don't understand what their rights are they don't understand the processes they don't understand the steps that they need to take in order to be heard properly and that's sort of one of the things that i want to go through today when we talk about the legal services Mm -hmm. bill because you you mentioned smith barker there earlier and as you know you know, we, we you you did that long interview with me talking about the issues regarding Smith Barcadeer uh-huh. and you know prior to, prior to the protest at the beach. And as as you know, uh, the government eventually backed down and said they weren't going to proceed with the Smith Barcadeer redevelopment project. However, even though the government backed down. I still did an FOI, a freedom of information request, both to the planning department and to the cabinet. The reason I did that is we have to understand that just because the government says that something is not going to proceed and they they want our attention to, to move away from that topic, we have to look at what was a process that governed what took place. Was there a committee in place? How was that committee formed? So so we, I'll, I'll be getting back to you on another show to talk about the governance process and the things that were involved and the whole Smith market everything in the background. And also, I'll also come on another show to talk about the sort of appeals process that I'm going through now to obtain some of the records, the evidence, some of our suspicions regarding smith marketer so smith marketer is an ongoing issue because we have to look at the how, how things were dealt with not just the fact that the government says it's not going on anymore but how it was dealt with
1: uh-huh.
2: And this is the same same approach I want to take with the legal services bill so so what everyone knows the legal services bill is was renamed the previous name was the Legal Practitioner's Bill. And years ago, the Legal Practitioner's Bill was very controversial. The reason it was controversial is because the Legal Services Bill is meant to set up a board to regulate the legal profession and provide a system of legal training for lawyers. So when you think about the process of becoming a lawyer Number one, you usually go to go to university, you get your degree or you take an alt- alternative route if you have a prior degree, which what is what they call a fast track. After you finish your relevant courses, you do a professional exam. Once you do a professional exam, you do a period of training and it came on. It's called articles.
1: Uh-huh.
2: So, when we mentioned articles. Later, we're referring, to, we're referring to the training of, of persons to qualify as lawyers in Cayman. So after your training is finished, you go to court, and the court says, you're formally a lawyer. Your name is then put on a list of lawyers, and then you're officially a lawyer You to work. Your next step, of course, for most lawyers is they wanna work hard for a number of years, they want to become partner and as a partner, you make the big bucks. So you can be a salary partner where you have a fixed salary, or you can have a, you can be a profit sharing partner where you share a portion of the profits. So we're talking about people who are profit sharing partners who could easily take home, you know, $10 million in bonus and in, in a year. So it's very profitable to become a profit sharing partner. And the previous uh, legal practitioner's bill failed because K. Mayan said, listen, you know, I I grew up here. I did what I was supposed to do. I went to study. I came back with a degree and it's high honors. And I just like to be treated fairly. And K. Mayan started to say, well, how?" do we have that are actually partners in in these firms and not only just partners but how many are sharing in the profits and k-mines were basically asking for a level playing field where the rules were clear they weren't asking for a handout there was a level playing field to make sure that it was a case that they had access to a good quality level of work They had contact with the clients. They could do marketing. They could go overseas and meet the clients. They can make a good good contribution to their firm. And there was a discussion that there should be a minimum percentage of k mayans who are in a law firm. And the reason behind this is that if you are sincere about growing the number of k mayans in your firm, then ideally what you should do is you should lower the bases with as many k mayans as possible. So that in the future, when you spend all this money, all this investment and time into a K-Manyan, and that k rises, the idea is that you will have a lot of k mayans who go from this level to this level, and those people should be partners. However, over the years, we've only seen a small number of people small number of Caymanians become partners. And on the other hand, what we've seen is, we've seen a lot of overseas lawyers come into Cayman and become partners very quickly. And there's really no difference between the overseas lawyer and the Caymanian lawyer. In fact, I I would argue that the Caymanian lawyer has more relevant experience than the overseas lawyer because when overseas, overseas lawyers lawyer gets to Cayman, he usually has no background in the type of law that is practiced here. For example, investment funds, a pro- popular practice area. And there are a lot of lawyers who come here to Cayman for the first time to work, and they've never done investment funds law. And so they do have to spend time learning about investment funds and becoming competent. And that process usually takes about 12 months to start to get comfortable. When you compare that to a Caymanian who was actually in Cayman, practicing investment funds law on a day to day basis, that Caymanian actually has more relevant experience. So, logically, you would expect that you would look at the person and has more relevant experience. But often it's the case that the Caymanian lawyers are told, well, you're not ready yet. Or, well, how many clients have you actually brought in? And the issue is, you're going to ask someone, how many clients they're brought in, but you're not gonna give them the opportunity to, to meet the client or do the marketing with the client overseas. So what you wanna look at is, wanna look at the process um, of becoming a lawyer. We wanna look at the the governing body for all the lawyers, like who, who regulates all the lawyers? And the legal services bill tackles all of these things. And I think, Sandy, we we may have to have two shows on this. Um, So, because what you want to do is, we want to ensure that all of Cayman understands in a plain English language sense, what the upcoming legal legal services bill says, how it impacts Cayman and lawyers, and how it may be possible that if this is passed in its current form, how that could be applied to other industries. So, control of other industries by certain groups, mm-hmm. if, if it is allowed to just pass in the way that it's drafted.
1: Okay, so just a second here, Alric. Um, we've got Cece who says, I will always respect Alric. He's truly for his people and the best interests at heart for Ireland. Um, he doesn't just talk, he backs that up with action. Uh, Linda says, all true, Alric, in accounting too, not just law. So, one interesting point before we get to Bruce's comment um, that Alric has made, because I think a lot of people, Alric, have this false um, idea in their head that when they hear, as lawyers, you're talking about some of the issues that the Caymanian lawyers are facing, they think to themselves, well, who cares? These people are millionaires, you know, they make all sorts of money. They're at the top of the feeding chain. They're like the sharks of, you know, the professional world. So why, why are we going to bend over backwards to protect them? They have the resources and means to protect themselves. Uh, we will certainly be talking about how that isn't necessarily true. Um, but in addition to that not necessarily being true, we also, and you've just mentioned this, and Linda gets the point as well, that there is very much a trickle-down effect that happens um, as uh, they continue to chip away at different aspects of who we are as Caymanians. So for example, we see the farmers market, they're having a fight on their hands. We see the fishermen having a fight on their hands. Those are as equally important as the fact that the lawyers and the accountants, the professionals, are also having a fight in their hands. And I'm always surprised when people say to me, well, they're more concerned about the fishermen than the lawyers. And I say, hmm, the way I see it is if they can go after the professionals, the professionals who may have access to resources, who may be able to file lawsuits and so on, um, if they're willing to go after those professions and those individuals, then the question becomes, where will they stop? No one will have any protections. And no one will have any rights in this country. So I do think it is very much a slippery slope. And, um, you know, people need to be very, very much concerned about this issue. So I'm glad that you've said that. and I'm glad that Linda has acknowledged that, yes, in the context of the legal services bill, we'll be talking about the attorneys. But it is not just the attorneys. This fight is for all Caymanians. This fight is about equality um, in the workplace and trying to implement not just equality, but trying to implement measures that actually take into consideration that Caymanians who are indeed born in this country should have first preference to training opportunities, et cetera, especially when they already have the education, they've got the knowledge base, as opposed to persons who you're willing to bring in and train and promote ahead of your own Caymanians. So Bruce says, um, I asked a political candidate that represents the PPM, how they would vote if they get elected. And there's a major issue that arises that is not on the party uh-huh. where their constituents position differs significantly from the government. The person said that they would vote with the government. This is one of the problems of party politics. I'm not sure that party politics is 100% compatible with representational democracy. Well, Bruce, what I will say in terms of that, I have seen instances where um, politicians have said, Tara Rivers did this, for example, um, politicians have said that they're going to vote (laughs) the party line. They're going to toe the party line um, because they have collective responsibility. That's the excuse that they use. Yes, we have collective responsibility. Well, isn't that amazing how they can have collective responsibility, but on topics such as same sex or the domestic partnership bill or the civil partnership bill, they pulled rank. Um, There were quite a few members of the government who did not vote with the government on this and who did not support it. It would have passed, had they. So when they tell you that, Bruce, they're talking out of both holes, both ends of their mouth and the other hole because it just doesn't make any logical sense. And we've actually seen examples of uh, where they have chosen to break with the government on issues that they obviously felt very passionate about. So I think, especially in a country as small as the Cayman Islands and the legislature as small as we have with 18 representatives, the truth of the matter is, we should all be encouraging our representatives to vote their conscience, and do the the thing that is in the best interest of the people, not along party lines. So what determines whether they will vote against, uh, you know, with party lines or not, it seems to be a very slippery slope. So Louis says, "Um, Alec, I'm praying for your focus, that God remains in protection of your heart and gives you the strength to fight the good fight, keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Louis. Uh, He also shares that collective responsibility but personal paychecks, do your job. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to what one of your um, uh, viewers said, that accountants, that, that the issue applies to accountants too. So hiring, training, and promotion. What I would say in the accounting area is that we see more evidence of key mayans becoming partners rather than simply giving status to to lawyers to become key mayan. So we we have people, several people like Sean Parchment a Price Waterhouse who's who's a partner, and we we can look at all of the firms and we can actually point to someone who's Kimanian, who became a partner. Now, when you look at the law firms, there there are very few of that t- that type of situation where K-Manions are really enjoying a similar salary level as his foreign counterpart part, and I, I think. The reason that there's a difference is that there we have to look at what systems um, govern the, the professions. Why, why is it important to look at the systems that govern the professions? Because that is what determines the outcome. That is what determines how much control someone has over you or a firm has over you. And that determines if you're actually able to complain so, if we look at the legal services bill, for example, we look at what they're going to call a, a legal services board. So, the legal services board under this draft bill is it, it consists of a judge, the attorney general, a person who is a non-practicing lawyer appointed by the premier, another person who is a non-practicing lawyer appointed um, by the leader of the opposition. So. The first observation is, is this, this is the board who is going to govern, who's going to regulate legal profession and say, who is, say who's guilty of misconduct, et cetera, et cetera. If the board consists of someone appointed by the premier, someone appointed by, by the leader of opposition, that alone means that two out of four people on that board is a political appointment what do we know about political appointments? These persons can be influenced by the persons who are appointing them. Uh They might feel obligated to follow the directions of the the premier or they might feel obligated to follow the directions of the leader of opposition when in fact they should be considering the best interests of the legal profession, the reputation of the Cayman Islands and the best interests of of, uh, Caymanian lawyers as well. In addition, when you consider that the Attorney General is contemplated to be part of the board that regulates legal profession, you have to remember that the Attorney General sits on the side of the government. So remember we mentioned earlier that we have two out of four people of the board that are political appointees? Well, if you consider that the Attorney General also sits on the side of the government, That means that you you now have three out of four persons appointed to the board that are on the side of the government. Why is this troubling? It's troubling because it introduces um, a level of uncertainty, unfairness and treatment. Um, If you think about, let's say you went ahead and went past your law degree, Sandra, and you qualified as an attorney. And let's say you are subject to regulation by this board. And let's say something went wrong and you had to file a lawsuit. Think about this for a second. You have to file a lawsuit. However, the Attorney General is a member of the board and a judge is also a member of the board. So if you want to file a lawsuit against this board and now you have to go to court, Now you're going up against a person who might have done you wrong and they're the judge in court or they're the person on the other side who's prosecuting. Uh So it it, it, it introduces a serious level of, what I would say, awkwardness. If if you take action as as an attorney against the government and the proceedings are there in court and then the judge is there and, you you then get the feeling like some, something is not right with the constitution of the board. So in my, in my view, we shouldn't have any member of a board that's regulated by legal profession that is appointed, that can be appointed and removed by, by the or appointed and removed by the leader of, leader of opposition. and. None of those members should be a sitting judge. And that is what's proposed by the Legal Services Bill. That we have a sitting judge that is on the board that is regulating the profession. Now, we don't want, we don't want to talk about problems only. So let's talk about some of the solutions. As a solution, I think that the membership of the Legal Services Board. Must not have any conflicts of interest with the court, with politics, or the rest of the judicial system. I believe, as a, as a suggestion, I would want to see someone like the Auditor General on the Legal Services Board because Auditor General is meant to be independent and commission independent judgment. I would like to see someone from the Anti Fraud Commission sitting on the legal services board. A third person I would like to, to see is perhaps the chairman of the uh, standards in, in public life. I might like to see a law professor, maybe a re- retired law professor uh, sit, sitting on sitting on um, that legal services board. And then the reason I'm suggesting this is when you think about who's governing you, you wanna make sure that you have a fair process in place. And with the Legal Services Board, what is proposed in the Legal Services Bill, there are too many possible conflicts of interest. There are too many parties that can be controlled by the government, by the opposition and the premier. And while the person's appointed might be good people, they may may be so grateful for that appointment they just simply follow the instructions of the persons who appointed them rather than making sure that a transparent, fair result is achieved uh, for, for attorneys. Um, the the other issue with the, the, the legal services board is that, it basically says that when they have meetings, the person who's the judge on the board, that person will be the chairman of the meeting. Why is this important? Because the legal services bill says that there are four four members of the board. And if two agree and two disagree, the, the judge, the chairman has a second or extra vote. What I propose is that, Instead of a person who's a judge having a second or extra vote, I think you, you should just have an uneven number of members of the board and 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 the situation is solved. So you don't have one, you don't have one person with an extra vote. What you have is five people or seven people sitting on a board, so that you're always going to end up in a situation where the answer is a clear yes or declare no in the current circumstances the board is proposed to have only four people and if there's a deadlock two on one side and two on the other side the chairman has a second vote I think we need to avoid situations like that because you never know the chairman may have his own personal view which is May be deemed unfair or or biased towards a particular attorney. So to avoid the whole situation, we can remove this idea that a chairman has a second or casting vote. We need to change the composition of the board from four people to five people. So we always have a situation where there's a clear yes um, or no.
1: Okay. So Alric, one of the issues you're saying then. With the legal services bill is the makeup of this board that is being proposed. Um, the persons who are actually on the board, the numbers and the potential that those persons who are currently proposed to, you know make up this board would all almost all be conflicted in a variety of different ways, whether it's because it's a political appointment, um, judges who may end up, you know, and I take your point about judges because, Just this past week, I saw in real terms how that works when people have to recuse themselves from hearing a matter because they know the individual or whatever. Um, You end up having to wait four months down the line to see if you can even get your matter heard because the court only has so many judges available and so many magistrates available. So um, this is a real practical issue that, um, and for attorneys who are practicing day in and day out and who are standing up before judges, you know, if there was some sort of a conflict that arose out of this board or board decision, you could see how it would then be uh, questioned whether or not someone could hear their matters, even if it wasn't directly about them. But how far does it extend? How impartial can you can or cannot be? Um, Flashpoint wants to know why is Alden not doing everything he can to protect local attorneys? Now this is an interesting question about the premier because everyone assumes that the premier who himself is a attorney at law, I'm assuming he's still, you know, an attorney, he's kept up himself on the rules or whatever you officially call it. Um, There is the assumption that Caymanian attorneys look out for each other. And I want to talk about this. I know this is um, not directly related to the, the, legal services bill, but it is. Um, this assumption that Caymanians have each other's back, whether it's an accounting profession, a legal profession, or anywhere else, is one that unfortunately is really flawed. Alwick, address for us in your opinion, why is that assumption flawed? Why are there certain Caymanians, whether it's Alden, McLaughlin, or otherwise, who are not a protective of other people in their respective professions, as we would expect them to be. We're talking here about big money. We're talking here about special interests. We're talking here about Caymanian attorneys or um, people, even in the accounting profession who are afraid of speaking up because if they do so, that means that professionally, as Tracy mentioned earlier, people are afraid if they speak out professionally, they are signing their own death warrant. Tell us what you know about those situations.
2: Well, You you have reason for concern and the rest of the public has reason for concern because if you have lawyers who vote and represent members of the public on a daily basis, represent small business on a daily basis, and these same persons who are representing you in court and trying to protect your interests, if they're in a position where they themselves are afraid of the consequences of speaking out in their own profession for their, for their own interests, we, we have a problem. Like they say, Houston, we have a problem. You know, so when we talk about K-Manions um, supporting each other in a legal profession, what, what normally happens is some people buy into the idea, you know, if someone keeps telling you, you know, you're you're um you're unattractive, you're unattractive, you're unattractive. If they keep saying it, sometimes you you might believe it, you know. So some people may tell you, you know what, you're you're different from that other K man, you know, because that other K man he likes to complain, but you know what, the K man is not complaining just for the sake of making a complaint. The command is complaining because of the process of the system that's in place that allows that person to get good training, get considered for the next level promotion whether that is as a senior associate or as a salary partner we get a fixed salary or as an equity partner or profit sharing partner we get share of the profits so what tends to happen is they it's called divide and conquer so you pay a couple k minds a decent salary and lawyer salaries are pretty good and especially with the big firms So, you know, you're talking about people who, who years ago, at least when I was working with a big firm years ago, uh, 10 years ago, I remember people coming in from overseas who really didn't have that much experience and they were starting out around 20 to 25,000 a month. So that's kind of money you can make in some of these big firms, but, so let's take a step back. So that's why people don't feel sorry for lawyers. Because of the kind of money that they can make in some of the bigger firms. So you're talking about 20 to 25,000 being the starting salary of an overseas person coming to work for a big firm. That is not the case when it comes to Kimanyan lawyers with the same experience. Kimanyan lawyers with the same experience may earn less than that. But the point we're actually making now is that even though Kimanyan lawyers are making less. Than their foreign counterpart. The K Mayan lawyer says, You know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm making money. I'm making more money than a lot of other K Mayans. So I'm good. So the K Mayan lawyer is usually only concerned about, Well, oh, I'm making more money than other K Mayans generally. So I'm good. The K Mayan lawyer doesn't think, Listen, I should be treated fairly. I should get the equivalent salary as my foreign counterpart. I, sh- I should ensure that there's a system, there's a process that that allows me to be treated fairly that recognizes my skills, that recognizes my qualifications and doesn't just push them aside and doesn't just give a bunch of excuses that say, oh, you're not ready yet, or you haven't done this, or you haven't done that. So to answer your question, there are some Kimaya lawyers who who will not stand by your side in protest because they feel that the money that they're making is good compared to other Cay Mayans across other industries. So therefore, they don't complain and they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to lose the nice salary that they're getting, that they can get a nice home, they can get a nice car, they can take nice trips, they can buy nice clothing. But we as Cay Mayans need to move beyond this, beyond things just looking nice, things must actually be nice. And for them to actually be nice, we need to make sure that there are proper legislation in place, there are proper processes in place, and these things are actually enforced. The only guarantee to enforcement is to having people who have the will to enforce the law and also having people who who have the courage to put things in a law that actually protect uh, Caymanian lawyers. So uh, hopefully that answers your question about why some Caymanian lawyers simply don't support others. Hopefully that answers your question. Um,
1: Yes, Alaric, it does. And I just wanna make sure that the people understand what precisely has been said. So the, I mean, basically I think that as Caymanians, even those in legal profession are setting the bar very low for themselves in other words. So they're willing to accept sometimes 50% or less of what their foreign counterparts are making professionally because they think that that's all that they're worth and they don't know their value, they don't even know how to properly negotiate, this reminds me of a young lady. She's actually American, but now she has Cayman status. Um, she was working for a local company. She left and went overseas. And at some point they wanted to recruit her back to return because they saw a decline in sales as a result of her departure. Now, when she left, she became very much aware of how as a woman, um, as someone who now had Caymanian status, how she was being treated differently then her counterparts, who were all men, offered all sorts of wonderful contracts, bonuses, this, that, and the other thing. So she said, you know what? She played hardball when it was time for her to return. And she said, yes, I'm aware that this person who's in the same job as me is getting all these benefits, is getting this salary, this bonus, yada, yadda, yadda. I'll be happy to return if I get equality in my contract. And eventually that particular company caved in and gave her the equal contract uh, because they really wanted to get her back. But I think there's something to be said for those of us who do not appreciate the value of our worth. I see it all the time, even in the DPP's office, there are Caymanians who are in that office in the legal department, which are the government agencies that would hire attorneys and they sit down or legal drafting and whatever. And they sit down and they're treated like second class citizens. They're not given opportunities. They're not promoted. They're not making the same money. And they just sit there and accept it because I guess they don't think that they deserve any better. I mean, I cannot tell you the horror stories that I've heard coming out of the DPP's office about how Caymanians are treated and how you know some of the cases that they're given, they're not even given an opportunity to try to um, prove themselves. And then Johnny come lately from Jamaica, Canada, the UK, wherever, is quickly promoted up the ranks and given every opportunity to shine and to get these these uh, cases where they hire QCs to do it anyway. But you know their name is kind of on the case um, to handle. So hands, um, hopefully, flashpoint that answers your question. I think just because someone like um, the premier is in a profession. That does not in and of itself means he cares about other people in that profession. Um, Maybe his experience has been different. Maybe he has not had to struggle as much as others to get where he was. Because remember when he left, he was a partner in his own law firm. It was a small law firm, but nonetheless, uh, he was a partner. Now, the premier has had both his wife and his son been called to the bar as attorneys at law. It does not appear that they had any uh, problems or issues getting articles, whereas other Caymanians go for years and are unable to get articles and they have done equally as well academically, et cetera, but they just don't have either the right connections or they're too vocal. Heaven forbid that you should be an attorney that's vocal or whatever. They will never get an opportunity to do articles in this country. Uh, Kathy Wills is one of those people, folks, who has completed her law degree and should be given an opportunity to do articles. She is working for the legal, um, legal drafters department. Um, and you know, despite promises to give her articles, that has not come to fruition. So Mr. Walton uh, has chimed in and said, Louis, collective responsibility is the conversation whereby individual members are held accountable for the actions and decisions of the body of which they are a member. As an individual, you are to put your view um, during open discussion. Should you fail to get the majority to agree and go along with you, then you become bound to go along or accept the decision of the majority. Well, you can accept the decision of the majority because that is a democratic process, as we rightfully see. However, I don't think you have to go along with the majority. You can be the sole voice out there that says this is wrong. You can be a dissenting voice. So Walton says, this is how all boards should work. I don't agree with that. If there is a decision being put forward, but it's like going to court. If it's a panel of, of three judges, of five judges, whether it's a Supreme Court, the appeals court, whatever, um, the Privy Council, judges dissent. They can say, I do not agree. And here is why I do not agree. Likewise, politicians have the exact same right to say i do not agree with what this government is proposing this is not in the best interest of the people or whatever reasons you don't agree simply put it out there and there you have it you know people will know where you stand on this particular issue if you just sit back and go along in order to get along as danika said yesterday in her comments oh joe biden supported a bill that is said to have marginalized african americans Maybe he was just going along with the party. Maybe he didn't even support that bill personally. But this is what happens um, when you find yourself in that position where you're not able to stand up with your own backbone and stand up tall and stand up straight for whatever it is that you actually believe in. So um, Hans says, uh, when will Alden start to look out for young Caymanians and have a company? It is unfair to see the steam company getting contracts over us as commanding business owners, tired of it also, and they know me, I have reached out to most of them, um, but no reply. Well, I'm not surprised, Hans, that you've received no reply. You you were considered very fortunate if the premier ever responds to you. I used to think it was just me, and I kind of took it personal, like he just ignores my questions or my WhatsApp messages or whatever, but I have come to learn over the years that um, you shouldn't take it personal. Apparently, he treats everyone with equal disdain and he's unlikely to respond to your messages. That's just how the premier is. And I think a lot of politicians are like that, unfortunately. Um, I must say that uh, there's a few, even within the PPM ranks, that will respond to you, but um, the premier isn't one of them. So, um, Alwick, there's a more general question here. And of course, as a political candidate, let's talk about some of these generalities that are happening. Uh, Caymanian businesses, small Caymanian businesses who are not given contracts. We're going to be talking about one of those. Um, his name is Odell Suarez. And Odell Suarez, during the pandemic, has been offering his accounting services to other Caymanian businesses who are trying to uh, get up and running and get you know access to government funds, whether it's a grant or a loan or whatever. And the CIBB, the Cayman Islands Development Bank, has continually put obstacles in Odell's way for him to be able to assist people um, with their applications. And they've not, you know, he's sent emails, asked them questions, the whole nine yards, and they have not been forthcoming with even responding to his emails so that he could be better equipped to assist people. Alric, what is your view on government trying to give preferential treatment to certain companies, whether it's government contracts, government work or whatever?
2: Yeah, it's, it's common, not just in Cayman, but in other countries where if you support the ruling party, you are considered a friend of government and therefore you start to get awarded the contracts, the majority of the contracts. And obviously under the freedom of information law, the government's gonna say, those contracts are commercial sensitive information and, and we can't see what the terms are. So they may not be terms that are even favorable to the government. And I totally agree with Hans that, you know, we have a situation where there are a lot of talented came Mayan businessmen, uh, and business women out there who have skills, they, they're working hard, they have families and. Expenses just like everyone else in the economy. Everyone else is coming in here that has expenses. KMIs have a CUC bill too. You know, that small businessman has a family too that he has to feed, uh-huh. has a daughter or, or, or a son that has to go to school and has to give them lunch money. So, um, we need to change the way that these contracts are awarded and try to think about we we must think about ensuring that more small businesses get a a piece of the of the pie
0: Mm
2: -hmm. that that's one of the reasons why you know i'm uh, aligning myself with people like you know kathy Ann ebanks wilts who's who's an attorney who's um well she's finished um her studies but our uh, next step is to become an attorney. And you know, that, that's also someone that, that works very hard and you know has high high goals and, and wants to achieve. And I think she would share my view that we if if we don't take care of our own K Mayans and consider helping a majority of them giving a majority of them an opportunity to participate in the economy Mm -hmm. we don't help them who's going to help them Mm. that's one of my motivations for wanting to be involved in politics is is not a power it's not a position is to be involved in policy making and having a proper system in place that ensure that k get treated fairly when it comes to distribution of some of these contracts mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't believe that small business is getting enough of these contracts mm-hmm. I believe that a lot of these contracts are just going to one person over and over or one particular group of people mm-hmm. what we need to do is to just have a fair process and make sure that more key are involved because if you do not involve small business and small business is always struggling Small business fails. What's gonna happen next? The owner of that business has to then rely on the government in terms of welfare needs assessment unit. So by helping small business, you are actually helping your economy, your overall economy, and you're helping people to stay off welfare.
1: Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, You have to ask the question, if the government is not involved in small business more in awarding contracts more, more contracts to small business, then is it their intention for, for, for those small businesses to continue to struggle and rely on the government on welfare? And it is it is true that there are some cases where presentations are made to small business. Here's an opportunity for you for a loan or a grant. But when you go get that grant or that loan, you might get told things like, Well, you you know you gotta have 150 percent collateral to back up this loan right mm-hmm. well the thing is how are you gonna tell a small business that they need to have you know a million dollars in assets in order to to get a grant that is amazing if you genuinely wanted to help a small business then you, you just would you would make sure they get the contracts that they're competent to do i, I think there are a lot of small businesses like Hans and Ricardo Kelly out there who can provide excellent services, but they just don't have the opportunity. Mm. And asking for a handout, they're just asking for the opportunity to showcase their skills and do a good job. Right. And listen, if, if, if the person doesn't do their job, then you just don't use them again, it's that simple. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very confident that there are a lot of K-Mayans who are very skilled but just don't have the opportunity.
1: Let's talk about, um, you mentioned Kathy Wilkes and um, you know she's obviously running for West Bay Central, I believe it is, against Captain Eugene. Um, there's a few others who are coming out and there has been this criticism. I do hear every single election now. I am very pleased when I see professionals who have a lot to risk and a lot to lose, there's a lot at risk, I should say, and a lot to potentially lose getting involved in the political process. And you have just said to us that one of the reasons why, um, or the primary reason why you're keen to get involved is to be able to shape and mold policy that would be more beneficial to the average Caymanian. Um, There's been criticisms of people before you, of yourself and of others that, oh, you're just doing this for a quick paycheck for, for the money. Let's address this very important point, because obviously we have seen people who are way less qualified than you, who technically at the time that they were running for public office, didn't even have a job. So they went from zero income to making what, probably $8,000 a month or whatever the going MLA salary is. But when people say that to you, um, do you find that you're insulted as a professional, as a doubly qualified professional, someone who is both a CPA and an attorney at law, um, how do you address, without getting into your, you know, financial business, so to speak, but how do you address people like that when they don't know anything about your finances, but they assume that you're jumping into the political arena um, because you're motivated by the salary?
2: Well, if I was motivated by the salary, I, I would have joined, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think um, the, the type of, work that is involved in being a public servant, you're giving up family time. So if you have children, if you have a wife, you're actually giving up a lot of that time in order to serve your country. So I can tell you on my day-to-day, I I generally don't have any time. I'm always trying to help someone who is in need. Mm -hmm. and Not just helping in terms of providing them with an item is not that it's actually showing them the way and help show them helping to, sh- to remind them that they have a value i think that's something that we need to just continue preaching to our fellow k mayans that you have a value and that that is my goal on a daily basis to, is to remind people you know i say listen i see how these skills in, in your resume let me forward your resume to a couple of my friends to see you know if they have an opening for you and if they have an opening then I introduce them you know to my friend or, or other colleague that puts them in a position that they can then take care of take care of himself and in my in my situation I'm definitely not in it you know for that political salary and during my time I intend to donate a portion of that salary to charity, of course, because this is, something that, this is something that I've always done is to donate to charity. And I met a lot of good people through charity. So that is something that I will continue to do. I'm more motivated to help my fellow K Mayan than to get a dollar. I think the day that I feel a motivation for a dollar over my fellow K Mayan, then that's the day to stop doing what I'm doing. So definitely I'm not in this for, you know, what some people say is, is, is a great salary. Um definitely not in, in it for that. Like I say, I'm happy to donate a portion of that to charity and from, you know, i I've, I've worked with, you know, big law firms. And so I'm familiar of what, you know, I'm able to make in in those type of firms. And I I was in, in those firms. So the salary in those firms is much more attractive as a government representative. So my point is, is that My choice is to be a public servant. Uh My choice is to help the people. It's not to chase after you know dollars. Uh Um, So definitely my goal is to to be there as a public servant for the people, helping in any way I can. And for me, it's not about the paycheck. Although I will work hard to earn every dollar that I am paid as a representative.
1: Right. Um, I think the bottom line is a lot of people probably don't realize that what you do now, you make way more money than you would um, as a politician. And so, you know, some people might think, well, maybe there's additional perks or benefits. But like you said, it really depends on how you look at it, because if you are truly working for that money, um, it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's a decent salary, but it's better if you're working for it, for sure. But there are other sacrifices that you will have to make along the way as well, um, including always having your life open to other people to comment on and to give their opinion on um, about every single decision that you make or every single thing that you do or don't do. And you know, it, the, the world of politics isn't for the faint of heart, that's for sure. It's a very, very interesting um, profession. So yeah. Alric, we've only really scratched the surface of the legal services bill. Um, I know that sometimes with discussions like this, you gotta, you've got to break it down into bite-sized pieces. Um, perhaps we can have you on again, because we know that this bill will be coming in December, in the December session of the legislature. And so perhaps we can have you back again to delve into a little bit more detail in terms of some of the other areas that are actually causing you to be concerned about the legal services bill. Now, someone said to me earlier this week that in their opinion, um, the legal services bill that is proposed now is even more watered down in terms of protection for commanding attorneys and is even um, less beneficial to commanding attorneys than the previously proposed legal practitioners bill which as you said this is its equivalent replacement what are your general thoughts on that have you compared what was proposed before versus now and do you think that as we progress which each suggested bill it becomes worse and worse essentially is what this person has said
2: well there have been so many versions of the bill over the years especially when it was called legal practitioners bill we had a version that the Association of Lawyers had. We had a version that the government had. Uh, so there's so many been so many versions, and the, the reason that the previous versions didn't pass is because the Mayan lawyers simply felt that they weren't in the, in the best interest of Mayans. And if if we just look at one one or two things here, I'll, I'll, I, I can show you why. Um, so. One part of the law, one, one part of this legal services bill uh-huh. um, says that says here a person practicing Cayman um, law, well, a person practicing, a person can practice law in another jurisdiction and he can actually prepare Cayman legal documents without having a Cayman legal practice certificate as long as there's a Cayman firm. Signing off. So we have a situation where some random guy could be overseas preparing Cayman legal documents, and he wants to make some money off of off of Cayman law. So what he does is he say, "Well, I don't have a Cayman legal practice certificate, but because of legal services bill say I can prepare a document that's governed by Cayman law." as long as a Cayman lawyer signs off, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hook up with a Cayman lawyer, and him and I will just split the fees. So you have a situation where this arrangement actually takes work away from Cayman-based lawyers. It means that a a New York law firm can prepare Cayman legal documents charge the bulk of the fees to the client, and then have the Cayman firm sign off on the documents as if the Cayman firm prepared the documents. So my opinion in this area is that only holders of Cayman legal practice certificates should prepare those Cayman legal documents. And this is actually stated in the legal services bill that a person who is overseas can prepare the documents, and. Not have a Cayman legal practice certificate, and then have it signed off by a Cayman lawyer. So we need to avoid situations like that because a Cayman could have been prepared preparing those documents all that time. Uh, and the, the next, the, one of the next things that is so controversial is the legal services bill talks about um, a person who, a person, an, an attorney can only. Practice Cayman law if he holds, if he or she holds a Cayman Islands legal practice certificate. This this is so awkward because if the if the legal services bill is saying now that you have to have a Cayman legal practice certificate to practice Cayman Islands law, why is it that the government has been discussing in previous debates the fact that they, all, they are persons who are currently practicing Cayman Islands law outside the Cayman Islands without a Cayman legal practice certificate, and they're not being punished. So it, it doesn't make sense to me that the legal services bill, it, it wants it wants to say that you can't practice Cayman law without a, pra- a legal practice certificate from Cayman. But the fact is, is that it's currently happening with no consequence. So... What what is the guarantee that this wording is now placed in the law to say that you can't practice Cayman law without a Cayman practice certificate? If you put that in the law now, what difference does it make? Because we have a culture of no enforcement. So the government has been aware for many years and they can identify the persons, they can actually point to them. You are practicing Islands law overseas without a Cayman Islands legal practice certificate. And so these these are one of the questions that, that we must ask. These people have never paid any fees to the Cayman Islands government. And so the question has to be asked, should we be asking those persons to pay a lump sum or a lump sum fine to the Cayman Islands government in order to make up for all those years, 10 years, 20 years of practicing Cayman Islands law? Without a legal practice certificate. So, will the government continue to turn a blind eye to this practice, pass the legal services bill into law, and subsequently issue Cayman legal practice certificates to all of these persons who are basically doing a bad act? I say it's a bad act because they're actually practicing Cayman Islands with law without a Cayman Islands Legal Practice Certificate, but they're not being punished for it. They're not being asked to pay a lump sum. They're not being asked to pay any fine. What the government proposes to do is to pass the bill in the dark of night on 31st of December when we're not paying attention and to then issue Cayman Islands Legal Practice Certificates to all of these people overseas who are currently practicing without it. It doesn't make sense to me that the government is turning a blind eye to what's actually happening. I suggest that the government request a lump sum be paid to the government to cover the decades of practice of Cayman Islands law by these persons without a Cayman Islands legal practice certificate. Because they benefited economically for decades practicing Cayman Islands law without a Cayman Islands Legal Practice Certificate. A Caymanian can never do that. A Caymanian never, could never practice Cayman law without a Cayman Islands Legal Practice Certificate. So why is it being permitted overseas currently? And why is it that they wanna pass the law in the dark of night to make it okay, to make all those bad acts okay? And this has been so controversial and it's, it's one of the reasons why it was so hard to pass the previous versions of the bill. When we talk about how many K manians can be in a certain law firm, this this legal services bill in its current current draft, and I'm sort of reading off of it here. It's um, it talks about if you're a school practitioner, then you must be a K manian. But then it goes on to say, if it's a if it's a if it's a big law firm practicing Cayman law, you only need one partner—that's Cayman. Not as troubling to me because this this whole system needs to be in, at different levels. They they need to say, for example, they need to say, um, if the if let's say level one is a law firm with five or less attorneys then what you should say is a law firm with five or less attorneys should have at least one KMIN partner, and at least one of those people should be a profit-sharing partner. Mm-hmm. Level two ex- be,
1: Explain to us, um, just in case our listeners don't know the difference between a profit-sharing or equitable partner versus a salaried partner. Just explain the difference to us.
2: So so for most lawyers, the goal is to become a partner. And when you're a partner, you you're you're the the, the the woman or the man who has influence on the direction of the firm, over decisions being made or policies being made. So as, as a partner, that less you know, you're 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 sort of the big dog now. But there are two different types of partners generally speaking. There's one partner who might make a fixed salary, and he or she is called a salary partner. And so. That person could make a million dollars a year as a, as a fixed salary. However, when you're an equity partner, you share in the profits. So when you think about the money that an equity partner could make in a big firm, what you're talking about is someone who can make a bonus of $10 million in a particular year. So the difference between a solid partner and an equity partner is so great. And the point that we always make is that We don't frequently have Caymanians who become equity partners. We don't have a lot of Caymanians who become equity partners, but we have a lot of foreign lawyers who become Caymanian and become equity partners. And that distinction has to be made because there is no difference between the competitiveness, the level of hard work, the ability to gain clients, between a Caymanian and an overseas lawyer, there's really no difference. In my view, the Caymanian is more than capable to do the work that his counterpart, foreign, that his foreign counterpart is doing. I just think that the Caymanian lawyers are not being provided with the proper quality of work and they're not being pushed in the way that their, their foreign counterpart is being pushed. Now, some some of the firms may argue, you know, we, we spend thousands of dollars every year on training. Firms do spend hundreds of dollars on training on on K-Mayans who are going to school, who are who have come back to work. But the issue is is the system that is in place to encourage promotion of those k lawyers. So well, what we find is that the people who are just learning Cayman law and who get the support, who come from overseas, they tend to be pushed into the equity partner position, which is the profit sharing position.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't see why there should be a difference that's based on nationality. That difference shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I don't see why the only time you should become an equity partner and making good money is when you're a foreign lawyer who obtains status and then says that he or she's Caymanian. I think that's a flawed system. I think we need to lower the bases with Caymanians and put energy into them, tell them that they're worthy, tell them that they have value. And those Caymanians also believe they have value to reach the next level and work hard to get to the next level, the ultimate being being a partner, preferably being an equity partner. But what I was saying earlier is, in terms of a solution, the way the way that this legal service bill is drafted,
0: mm-hmm.
2: is it, saying that if, if you're a law firm, you're only required to have one K partner. And my my solution to that is, this should be amended to say that. We should have different levels so we should have we should we should consider how many law firm how, how many lawyers are in this law firm
1: uh-huh.
2: What i was saying earlier is if, if you have a level one five or less attorneys in a law firm then you can say okay at least one of those people has to be K Mayan and has to be a partner and has to be a profit sharing partner at the next level you can say what if your law firm had let's say six to 20 attorneys Uh you can say at least three of those must be k in partners Uh and at least three of those must be a profit sharing partner and then the last level I would look at is let's say you have a a law firm with over 20 attorneys Uh then then you say you know what we need to ensure that we have good K-mine representation in these big firms so so, a firm of 20 or over attorneys, we could say, listen, a third, one third of those guys should be K partners. And a good percentage of those should be equity partners.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: In my view, in the absence of these requirements, the law firms will have no incentives to hire, train, or promote K attorneys to a salary partner or equity partner. Instead, what the law firms will do, simply hire um one K attorney. So the, the, the current draft of the bill only require only requires one K partner. If that stays in place, what the firms will be tempted to do is to just hire the minimum. They will just hire that one K partner and then hire non K Mayans for the other positions and seek K status for those other. Positions. So what I'm saying is that unless you have it written into the law, the lawyers won't follow it. And currently, the only requirement they, they have to follow if this passes into law in the current form is only one person has to be came man, in, in the whole firm. So mm-hmm. think. About it. Let's say you have 300 lawyers in a law firm. Can you imagine only one of them can eat? Just think about it that way. Mm-hmm. You, you have 300 people eating a good meal and one person watching them eat. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's what's basically is happening. So in, in terms of solutions, that's what, what I'm proposing The solutions is that we look at the number of lawyers in each firm and then say a certain percentage of those lawyers should be manion, and not just a regular associate in the firm, but also a partner in the firm being a salary partner or a profit sharing partner. This
1: okay, what... so, sorry Alec. Um, let's just have a look at um, some of the comments here. So Cindy says Caymanians are being blocked mm-hmm. from opportunities and um, are being left out for too long. It's time that we take a stand and let our voices be heard. What would you uh, respond to Cindy with?
0: Um,
2: l- like I say, part of part of the problem is is the system is, is in place we can challenge the system that's in place for example a system that's being put in place by the legal services bill we can challenge this by commenting and making sure our comments are included right now is a period for comments on legal services bill before it goes to the house so the public can now make comments on the bill to ensure that there are provisions in there where K minus are protected. That's the first step. The second step is ensuring that you have policymakers in this government that are willing, have the will to actually enforce the law. So there, there are two steps. You participate to ensure you have the proper provisions in the law, and then you ensure that you elect the people that have a backbone that will stand up to special interests that will say no to special interests and mm-hmm. consider the interests of our k Mayans.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I think that second one obviously come May the 26th is where people need to make sure that they're voting correctly. So Cindy goes on to say that they turn a blind eye to the bigger crimes, but see to it that youths are held down in a corner. Hans is in agreement with that. Um, Flashpoint, I'm not ignoring your comment, but I think that's a whole other show. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, Hans also says, I remember I was blocked for years due to my police record because Caymanians have um, things where most of them don't forgive or or is willing um, to give second chances. Up to today, I have to give thanks to Mr. Garth Arch. He always believed in me. So um, again, Hans makes the point that even a minor infraction on your um, good record or, you know, on your record, you've in a little situation, had to go to court, and you've got a conviction that can trail you for many, many years. Um, we have run out of time for this morning's show. As you guys know, the program is from 7.30 until 9.30, Monday to Friday, and then on Tuesdays and Thursday evenings, we have a one-hour segment from 7 to 8 p.m. I want to thank all of you for tuning in this morning. Flashpoint wants you to speak about educational services in the Cayman Islands. So i perhaps you can put that on the agenda for next week, where we can delve into some of the issues and concerns about the educational system here. Um, I also wanted to just make a note that we continue to watch this hurricane as it prepares now to reemerge off of land and enter back into the Caribbean. And we may very well be in its direct path I and mean, my apologies tropical depression which is at 30 miles per hour but we do expect it to gain back some of its strength and we have to be prepared for whatever it brings with it so continue to monitor i know the government keeps telling you guys to monitor the official sources i certainly have no issues with people doing that but the unofficial sources such as cayman mall road we keep you very much up to date folks and we will certainly continue to do so. Uh, Mr. Walton, thank you for joining in. Hans and Cece, thank you guys for joining in. We had Flashpoint, Louie, Bruce, uh, who else was here for it? Linda, Odette, Cy, um, Miss Sue McLaughlin, Tracy from Jamaica, Marshall from North Carolina, Gina, Ervalyn, Olivia, everyone, Elizabeth, thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining us this morning. We will be having our segment this evening. There is a bit of a situation that was going viral yesterday. I thought yesterday was a very busy day um, in terms of, you know, all the things that people were sending me. But one story that I got multiple times over and over again is about a local DJ, um, AKA photographer who has been doing shady things allegedly for many, many years when it comes to some of the girls that he's been working with. And one of them has actually reached out to us now wanting to warn other young ladies about him and about his behavior. So that is one of the stories that we're working on. Um, we've seen some screenshots and messages and we need to find out you know, how she wants to share her story, how she wants to put the warning out there. The thing that I always have with command folks, I stand up for you guys. I put my neck on the chopping block as you can see with the whole Matthew Leslie thing. That's why I'm in court but I can't always do it alone. There are times when you as the actual victims of these situations need to come forward and you need to let your voices be heard. And there's an important message in that, that people who put themselves out there for other people can only go so far before the people who are actually impacted by the situation need to find their own voices. Uh, There was also another situation with um, a handicapped individual. Uh, Both him and his brother have some um, deficiencies and some handicaps, reaching out to me yesterday saying that they had been arrested by police officers and in their opinion mistreated because I guess the police officers either don't know or don't care that they're special needs individuals and that has led to to some issues. So I'm trying to now find an attorney to assist them with, um, with that situation. So I appreciate that, um, and I want you guys to appreciate that we get the gamut in terms of the issues that are brought to our attention, the concerns that are brought forward. And um, it's everything from rich people who have a specific concern or issue, maybe it's related to land or whatever that they want highlighted, as well as poor people who just want a little bit of justice in their own neighborhood or in their lives. So in case you missed it last night, folks, There was a story I was really moved to do. Um, It is an editorial piece. It says Fair Thy Neighbor. It's based on um, the same title of a show that's on investigative discovery. And it's about the Mendoza family um, in the district of West Bay who have tortured the Adam family for the better half of five years. Uh, 32 phone calls made to the police since August the 15th of 2008. Folks, that's only about two years and change. Um, Of the 32 phone calls, nine have been recorded of crimes. 23 were categorized um, and and 17 as civil disputes by the police. Two were determined to be harassment, alarm, distress. Uh, One prowler, one careless driving, one public environmental matter, and one person in distress. Folks, this situation is unbelievable. Can you imagine having the police called to your um, house or your neighborhood dealing directly with you some 32 times in two years. And um, you guys need to have a look at the story if you haven't already. I've just shared the story in the description. Check it out. It's a real eye-opener, I think, of what has been transpiring. And I kind of feel that sometimes people are not always cognizant and aware of the stresses that other people have been put under until it's gone too far until it's at the point of no return and something has happened. So um, I hope that you guys read that and you find that story interesting. The question in my mind is where is the end to this? When is the judicial review coming up? We've heard nothing about it and now we're going into a year and still there has been no information. I think it's been over a year when uh, Mr. Mendoza stopped the government from putting in their road. And there has been nothing government has not said, the legal department has not said, this is the court date that we have, even if it's in two months time, three months time, absolutely nothing. We want to know what's the situation here. uh, Alric Ham sends his blessings to you. Um, Miss Juanita just joined in. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Alric. We're going to see you again on next week, Thursday. Uh, Perhaps we can discuss education on that day or part two of the legal services bill. I must say one of the things I like and appreciate with Alrick is he's not here just telling you what the problems are, even with this legislation, for example, but he is saying here are the possible alternative solutions. Here's how we can easily fix this. Here's what we can do. And today he has brought, as usual, some solutions uh, with him to the table. Now, Alec, will you be um, submitting those formally to the government uh, through this consulting process?
2: Yes, there's a there's a formal process. Uh, So um, on the Gazette website, I think they give an email address on the Man Gazette website, they give an email address uh, where where you're supposed to send your comments. So I I will be sending those comments uh, to that address and also sending my comments to the representatives. So they're aware of what some of the comments are from members of the legal profession. I'm only one person but these people are public servants and I am a member of the public and hopefully they will consider uh, some, my, my comments and deliberation process. All I only wanted to say um, one of your viewers said that, you know, that's how, that's how board, boards work in terms of majority of votes. Um, the, the, the situation with the Legal Services Board is that there are only four people that are being proposed uh, to be members of the Legal Services Board. And we talked about the possible conflicts of interest that could arise and governance issues that could arise earlier. But if you only have four people, you're not going to have a majority vote. Oh. What you're going to have is, when you have a deadlock, you're going to have one person who has an extra vote. Now, that, that's not the the ideal situation when it comes to governing such a large legal profession and where there's so many huge implications of the actions that you take, so in the case of the legal services board, what I'm proposing is that we change the number from four people to an odd number, which is five or seven people, and that five or seven people will always result in majority rules. So if yeah. you want majority rules, then you need to tell your representative to change their current proposal for the composition of legal services board from four to five or seven so that you always have a situation where you have a clear yes or no.
1: All right, my dear. Thank you so much um, for that. So again, Alec will be joining us next week, Thursday. Make sure that you mark your calendar and you tune in at that time. 7.30 in the morning is when we get started. We will be here tomorrow morning. Tomorrow we'll spend some time looking at The devastation that Hurricane Ita, now Tropical Depression Ita, has left in its wake, including um, speaking to some persons in Honduras. And um, we don't have any contacts in Nicaragua, but maybe between now and tomorrow we can find some to see how the storm has impacted them. Alric, have a beautiful and productive day. It's raining, so put your raincoat on. Put your umbrella in the car, folks. And um, we will certainly be seeing all of you here this evening at 7 p.m., God's willing. Have a super, super safe day, folks, and um, be blessed as always.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at Road.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings.